Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We are Kim and Mark. How are you today, Kim? I'm very well, thanks. How are you doing, Mark? Everything's great, Kim. Thank you. Again, we have a few articles we'd love to talk to our listeners about in the wine world. And the first one is something we've been very passionate about over the years talking about. It was an article on six more things you need to know about the American wine label. And Kim and I always do a lot of classes on wine labels. We're kind of geeks on this. And the first thing I want to ask you before we talk on these six, Kim, was was there anything recently that's come up that maybe wasn't one of these six that people have been asking you a lot about labels or find interesting about labels? For American wine labels specifically? Yes. I do get the reserve question a lot. You know, and actually a lot of the specifics from this article, I do get questions about in especially my beginner classes. So it's been nice because all of the times that we talk about these topics um, gives me just a little bit more information that I can then give to my students or that I can, you know, then relate to the people who ask me those questions. So these five or six that we have in this article today are at least a couple of times in the last half a year, I've gotten uh, questions about all of them, I would say. Well, let's talk first with this reserve was one of the things on the label that they talked about in this article. Mm -hmm. So let's start with that one. In America, if you see reserve on a U.S. label, it has no regulation, Kim. So what does that mean for our listeners if they see that on an American wine label? So when you see that on an American wine label, that is just pure marketing. Whoever created that label or came up with the idea of, hey, we should put reserve on this label is completely playing off of the idea that you've seen that term on a good bottle of Chianti, or you've seen that word on a good bottle of older Rioja, or there's something in your memory that is sparking this idea that, oh, reserve equals better quality. So therefore, they're going to be using that on an American wine label to try to get you to buy that wine because you think that there must be something more special about that wine. Now, that's not to say that every single winemaker is using it for that purpose. There are some American winemakers that will put the word reserve on their better bottles. The point is, is that because it's not regulated, you don't necessarily know who those folks are. So it can be used willy-nilly however a winery wants it to be used. And sometimes you just don't know if that means that it is a better bottle or if it's just being used to try to get you to buy the bottle. And I liked how you said it. You might have seen that on an EU label and a jog in your memory. Wow. But in Italy, reserva means uh, longer aging. So in the US, reserve must mean the same. So mm-hmm. It's, it's, and it's, it's the same in trick. Spain. So if yeah. you've got Reserva on a bottle of Spanish wine, there are all sorts of rules and regulations that wine has to follow in order to be able to literally put that word on the label. And it means something, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything on an American label. Yeah, I'm glad we started with that one because it's it's one of the kind of tricks that can be 
done on a label that you should be aware of. Let's move on to alcohol percent, Kim. They talked about alcohol percent on a label, and we've touched base on this in the past, but it's a good refresher to tell our listeners. Yeah, this is a good one. I, to me, it's, it's kind of funny for me because I'll say there are truths on the label and alcohol is one of the percent is something that's required and it's the truth. But in technical resource, it's not. And tell our listeners why it's not really the truth. This is so hard for people when they learn it to wrap their brains around it because you think there's a number <laughs> yeah. on that bottle that is telling you what the alcohol percentage on the wine is. And you just want to believe that what they're saying on that label is the truth. But in fact, there's wiggle room built in to that number. So for an American wine label, there is a plus or minus of one and a half percent of alcohol stated on the wine if it's under 14%. So let's say anything under 14%. So say it says it's 13.5% on the label. It might be 13.5%, but it might be as low as 12, or it might be as high as that 14, because 14 is that barrier there. So you could be getting more alcohol than you are expecting, or you could be getting less than you're expecting. And this, I think, is difficult, especially for students of wine who are being very analytical about wine tasting. And I certainly see this in my wine classes is that when we're comparing a couple of different wines to each other and we're talking about the alcohol and we're talking about how the alcohol feels to us and how it tastes to us. And can you taste it? Does it feel like it's burning when it's going down your throat? And like all those things, you feel like if you look at that number that you're talking about something that's a truth. But in reality, it might not be spot on that number that you think it is just because it's printed on the bottle. So I think that that is a, a really difficult thing for people. And honestly, I kind of feel like it's not fair to the consumer that there's that much wiggle room. And, I, and talking fair, especially with the new category, these low alcohol wines. So if you have one you're buying because you want to watch your alcohol content and it's saying it's 10%, sure. it's in that 1.5%. So it could pretty be pretty close to what you It could normally... be 12 and a half. Right. Yeah. So totally. That affects yeah. your little calorie calculation. Yeah. So. so I think that that's hard because you want to believe, especially something like a number is true on the label. And when you learn that, oh, there is this plus or minus where it could be a fairly big difference between what you think you're getting and what is actually in the bottle. I think that that degrades trust a little bit, honestly, for wine yeah. drinkers. It's good for the the wine, the true wine makers, because it, they don't really, it's hard to get something at an exact level when they're bottling it. And I always use the, the uh, example is how does like Kendall Jackson every year, no matter what the vintage, they are they at 13.5 exactly every single year. So because they have that leeway of one and a half percent. So next, Kim, we have to talk about this is something on a label that I always, always try to tell people is a state bottled and what that means. And uh, then we can kind of compare it to what a state grown is. But tell our listeners your take on a state bottled. No, I want on- you to take this one because this one is <laughs> this one gets you riled up. So I think you should talk about what yeah, the word estate well, on a bottle means. Estate, well, 
not just I'm no, not, not just. I know a that's why it's so confusing. Bottled and a state grown. Let's talk I about know. a state bottled. <laughs> and to this is really the best of the best for a bottling statement or, or a, a statement that's on a wine. So if it says a state bottled, the winery and the vineyard must be within the same American viticultural area. So it's a, a government. I don't want to say is it. It is regulated, but it's a government yeah. uh, recognized area that they can grow in. So to stay a state ball, it must first be in an AVA, the winery and the vineyard. The winery must control that vineyard. So you're not getting grapes from someone else. It's it's your control of the grapes. But you don't and necessarily it, have to own it. You could have a, a long-term purchasing agreement right. with an owner right. of and buy their grapes year after year after year. So you don't technically, if you're the winery owner, need to actually own those vineyards, but you need to have this long-term relationship with these particular vines. So it has to be, yeah, for all intents and purposes that you control what is going on there. Right. Control is the key. And then it must be bottled at the winery. So typically when you turn the bottle over on the what they call the bottling statement, which is another truth, it should say grown, produced, and bottled by. So you know it, it's grown, it's fermented, and bottled at the location of that AVA that it's telling you about. So this is not the same as saying a, a wine is a state grown. So a state grown is a lower level bottling statement than uh, a state bottled. And it's confusing because you would think a state grown, wow, that's really good. But if a lot of times you'll see a state grown and then you look at the bottling statement and it doesn't say it's grown or produced by that person. So Kim could have a state grown fruit she sells to me and I bottle it in a totally different location. So I can say state grown, but it's not all controlled by one entity. Does that make sense, Kim? It's pretty, it's, it's, it's so confusing because it's confusing for me all the time when someone hands me a wine and then I can't match up. So right. recently where this came into play was I was seeing a state on a label and I turned it around and it was saying on the bottling statement, it wasn't showing me because they weren't within an AVA and they couldn't say a state bottled. So it's strange. And our listeners yeah. probably say, what the heck are these guys going off on? But this is just a little thing on a label that can help you really find out and narrow down what's going on with the wine. Right. So the word estate grown or estate bottled are one, you know, that is one of those things that actually is regulated by law on an American wine label. So you the word estate can't be used as a marketing term on a label unless it's part of the name of the winery, correct? A state by itself is unregulated. So right. but a state bottled a, or a state, state bottled grown. state grown has some sort of regulations right. to it. But the trick, like you said, Kim, what's what people are doing is they're tricking you and saying so and so a state wine. Right. In the brand name. In the brand so you're thinking, name. Wow, and that's the, the trickiness. Brand name. And they can't regulate that. That's your brand name. If you want to call it Kim's Estate Wine, it's your brand. Right. That's fine. But it, you, you, it has nothing to do with an estate. So, And I think people would be surprised. Go to a wine shop and look at the California section 
and pick out how many wine names, how many producer names have the word estate in the name or how many bottles have the word reserve on the label like we were just talking about. Right. And I, I think that these are words that sort of wash over us a little bit because we see them all the time on wine labels and we just sort of expect them to be there because it's the status quo, right? Like it's, there are so many of them, especially on California labels that we don't step back and think, oh, well, what does that actually mean on the label? So just remember state bottled, best of the best. Compare that to a state grown, like I was saying, it still must be in an AVA if it says a state grown, but it's not grown or produced by the winery. So maybe that matters to you, maybe we don't. Kim and I always go yeah. back and forth on this. Do you, do you care about all that little stuff or you just like the wine? So Right. And I care a little bit less about where it's bottled because I feel like the bottling is just the mechanical way that we get the juice in the bottle. So what matters is the grapes. Are they being tended properly? Is it a good location for them to being grown? Are they being picked at the right time? Are they being treated well? How is the wine made? Once that wine is made and it just needs to go into a bottle, I kind of don't care where that happens. Like what is the benefit? And I understand about, oh, you don't want to ship it far away, but we have such good technology now for making sure that if you transport wine or juice from one location to another, that it stays stable and it doesn't get oxidized and that nothing bad happens to it, that I kind of feel like this idea of, well, it's only of the highest caliber if you bottle it right where it's made, um, kind of doesn't make sense for me with all the modern technology that we have. Yeah, I agree with that. I just like that this information is there for you to know that that's happening. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, I want to know what's yeah, happening. You I, want, know. People, I sure. want to people who are selling me it to, to know that, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if you pick up a bottle and you said to me, you know, I'm having a little issue. Can you tell me what you should be able to look at that and say, yeah, Kim, you're right. The guy buys juice. He ships it here and he bottles it and ferments it here. I'm kind of on the bandwagon with you lately that if it's a good wine, it's a good wine, but I just want, I don't want people to trick me or come up with things to try to trick me to throw me off of what's going mm-hmm. on with the wine. So Totally. Right. But, you want transparency, right? And, right? and I think that yeah. as we've spoken about over the last few years, honestly, and I feel like we see this more and more, this idea of people want more transparency in what they eat, in their consumer products. And, uh, you know, hopefully eventually we'll start seeing it with wine. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, wine is a it's not a niche product for us, but it's a niche product for a lot of the population. But I think if we're starting to see that people want to know what is in all of these things that they are using, that it will become a part of what people are thinking about what's in their wine. So I, I think that this is important information to have be available and have be transparent so that when consumers are asking the questions, we have the answers right there. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com and more information about me at commonwealthwineschool.com. 
And as always, you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. And we are talking about one of Mark's favorite topics, which is decoding the wine label and in particular, American wine labels and what some of the terms on uh, wine labels actually mean and how you can be a better and more savvy wine shopper by knowing what your wine is telling you. So we've already discussed reserve. We have discussed alcohol content. And now we want to talk about the word vintage on a label. And there's a number of different things that can uh, that can fall under this category, huh? Yeah. It, well, a lot of regulations. It's a term that's it has numbers to it, which I like. And one of the things they mentioned this article came about vintage. It was a quote, and I, I had to get your your view on it. They said premium wines are vintage dated. What did you think of that? It depends Meaning, on the wine. Meaning better quality wines. I think that that's what they're talking about when they say premium. So I I think that the wording of this came across um, differently than what they meant to get across (laughs) to the readers. So I think what they were trying to say is that anything that is not like crummy jug wine will have a vintage on it. But as always in wine, there are exceptions to every single rule. So yes, the vast majority of the better wines out there to drink will have a vintage, meaning a year. So the year on the label means when those grapes were picked. It doesn't mean when the wine went into a bottle. It doesn't mean when it was released to you. It doesn't mean when the fermentation finished. It means when the grapes were picked. But we do have some exceptions to those rules. There are some wines that are either blends of multiple vintages or that that is just the traditional way of making those wines. And and the big one that we usually talk about that is non-vintage is uh, is champagne. And you were talking about regulations or, or I was talking about numbers. If a wine has a vintage on it and it has a state, say California or a county, say Napa, then 85%, only, well, I should say only 85% of the wine in that bottle must be from one vintage, a single vintage. So think of that. So you could have 15% of multiple years vintage in that bottle. And if you had an AVA, which we talked about earlier, a specific area, that number jumps up to 95% of the vintage. So where would that matter? If you know... 2018 was a phenomenal year for Cab in Napa Valley, and you bought it just a Cal, uh, just a Napa Valley. Well, no, it's not a good example. Not no, <laughs> just California. If you bought just California <laughs> Cabernet that says 2018, it could only be 85%. But if you bought a Napa Valley, which is an ABA, you guaranteed 95% of that grape. So, so I feel like this goes hand in hand with the alcohol content. Uh, topic that we touched on a few minutes ago. Yeah, This is a thing that when I explain it to my wine students, they look at me like I have two heads because this is not something that you would think would be real, right? Yeah. You've ruined the romance, Kim. Right. Totally. And it's the same for grape varieties. You know, you see Cabernet Sauvignon on that label. You expect that there's Cabernet Sauvignon in that bottle. But it only has to be 75% Cabernet Sauvignon in that label. So it's very disappointing, I think, especially 
to people who are trying to learn the ins and outs of wine and maybe want to go into the wine business or are really trying to figure out what they like or hone their palates to realize that you might think that you've been enjoying 100% Cabernet for the last five years. And so you know that you love, quote unquote, Cabernet Sauvignon. But in reality, it's 75% cab and there's some Merlot in there and there's some Syrah in there and maybe there's some Zinfandel in there. So it, it really, I feel like, makes people question the validity of what is on a wine label. And that is very disappointing as a wine teacher to have to like burst that bubble a yeah. little bit for people. Not only, and, not and, all you know, the same point them thing. in the direction of, no, unfortunately, this is what the law says is allowed. So this is what it is. And it's really hard to get to the the truth of what is the actual alcohol level on this? What is the actual varietal makeup of this wine and all those things? Yeah. You're not getting all the grape you thought, or you're not getting from the area you thought because it's- yeah. Or even the vintage that you thought. Vintage, and I think correct. that that's one that's like, pff, blow your mind kind of thing. The thing I thought that, that I really never realized, if you see- no vintage on a label, which is very common in a lot of big brands now. If it just says USA or more commonly America, a vintage is not allowed. Technically, by law, you can't put a vintage. Mm -hmm. And I've never realized that because the way they word it was USA. And you don't see, you know, USA Chardonnay. You see American Chardonnay or American Merlot. So, uh, so if they put American, can they put a vintage on it? It falls under USA. So it does. So there's, yeah. there would be no vintage yeah. on the label. Yeah. So I'm thinking yeah. they're saying American because they don't want people to know if they knew the law saying USA. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking, that they're using American for that. I, I don't know. But every once in a while, someone will come to me and they'll whine. I'm looking all over the bottle for vintage. Yeah. There was some other strange rule where if it's under... A certain percent it didn't need a vintage i forget what the weird there was one weird rule i forget it now i'll have hmm. to find it but there was something weird i never realized why it didn't have a vintage on it there was some strange thing you don't have to put a vintage if it was this and i forget i think it had something to do with with um the alcohol percent or something okay. like that huh but, so i have a question for you yeah. so have you ever seen you know how when you sometimes <laughs> buy a bottle of orange juice and you said it's made from juice that is sourced from and Florida and yeah. Mexico and someplace else. So you've got orange juice that is blended from a number of different countries. Yeah. Have you ever seen wine that is a blend of, say, countries? American Chardonnay and Chilean Chardonnay? Well, because then how a, would you label that? Yeah, I think if. You can technically say it can be an American winery that can say it's using Chilean cab and still have a percentage of American, but the, the dominant percentage has to be listed. Does that make sense? So it's more percent of Chilean cab. So they have to put So that. you can blend wines from yeah, different they can. countries? They can, but they I'm sure they don't, but they can. I'm just curious if that's a as every member exactly what you were talking about with this listing of America or USA yeah. on the label. I remember happening with some of the really, really big brands when there was sourcing issues from California, like they couldn't get enough cheap Pinot Grigio, sorry, inexpensive yeah. Pinot Grigio or Merlot or Chardonnay or whatnot. So 
obviously they went and got juice from other states, not specifying on the label, obviously, where what those other states would be. And it just said United States on the label. And then I'm wondering, well, then there were some situations where it was exactly what you said, an American producer, but in very, very small print. You know, last year it might have been California fruit. This year it's Chilean fruit. But the small print on that bottle is, you know, very, very tiny. So it's really hard for you, the consumer, to realize that last year this might have been an American wine. And this year it is now from a different country because right. the branding is the exact same. Brand, the packaging is all the same. Yeah. Yeah. Just California yeah. is missing now. So I but and I feel like now, you know, it's just one step between this year it was California. Next year it's Chile. What's to say that there's not then going to be, oh, why don't we just blend juices from different countries or blend finished wines from different countries and just call it a day with that same yeah. exact South America. brand on it? <laughs> South America blend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. EU South America. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that's why it says America, honestly, instead of United States. Because they have South America? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because when you talk about continental America, it's North America, South America. You still have you have to consider both continents to be, quote unquote, America. We'll have to research that one. That's an interesting one. Well, let's move on to another term, Kim, old vine. We've talked about this a few times when you see old vine Mm -hmm. on a label, no regulation. Most vines before they can make wine have to be three to four years old before they can produce uh, grapes that will go into a wine bottle. So generally the term old vine refers to something that's 25 plus years old, but there's no regulation. So it's abused. People can say it's an old vines in and it's basically a four-year-old vine. Right. So, so again, this is another one that comes down to trust. Like there are some wineries that are very conscientious about not putting these terms on their wine labels because they want to make sure that they are giving good information to their consumers. But then in other situations, it's completely abused because it's not regulated. Yeah. And like you said, Kim, it's trust and it means you have to go another level. You have to research and find out if they're actually telling you how old the vines are and then if you feel that's old or not. Mm-hmm. 25 to me is Still pretty young. I actually think 25 is, I mean, for an American vine. No, I'm really? joking as far as age. No. <laughs> All right. Next, then Joker. the final term we want to talk about is meritage. We talked about this a while back as well, but thought it'd be good to bring up again. Not a see, not a term that you see as much anymore. Yeah, not common and really And it's really at all. a shame. And I think it's, you know, it's because this is its own little member group. The term yeah. was was yeah. kind of made up a blend of merit and heritage. They were combined. like their own worst enemy. Yeah, and they formed the group said uh if you but if you know, you see this on the label, the winery must be part of that group and they must be red or white. Bordeaux varietals that are blended and the varietal can one grape cannot be more than 90% of the blend. So there are rules to it of what that means if you see Meritage. And right. So and like on the surface, it makes sense. We're like, okay, if you are a winery that is making this type of a blend, you gotta follow this rule and this rule and this rule, and then you can put this word on your label. I think the problem is that it's this like membership thing. It's like a club. Right. 
and you got to pay a fee. So, I mean, it's kind of like going organic, right? Like some wineries go through the entire process and it's, it's long and it's convoluted and it costs money to get certified to be organic. And then they get that stamp on their label. And others are like, I don't want to go through the hassle of doing all of these things. We're still going to follow the protocols of being organic. Unfortunately, we can't call ourselves that, but we're still going to do all the things that we would ordinarily do if we were an organically certified vineyard. So it's sort of a a shame because I think for a while, the term meritage really had some sway. And you would see a number of these wines on wine shelves and especially on restaurant lists, steakhouse lists, like a a meritage designation on a steakhouse list really made that wine be so much more appealing to people who were buying those wines instead of just saying Bordeaux blend or listing, listing the grapes. But after a while, I felt like they were kind of their own worst enemy in that they had these rules and that you had to be a part of this group. And it really, really just was a qualification or a designation that kind of fell out of favor after a while. And there were some pretty big producers out there who use this. Uh, Rodney Strong, Kendall Jackson, Estancia, Bondavi, a real high-end producer, Harland Estate, Sterling, Dry Creek. So they're, they're out there, but like you said, Kim, kind of gone the wayside. And my question I had on this, Kim, was... I've noticed lately some uh, wine saying heritage blend. And I'm mm. wondering if they're kind of playing on the playing heritage. Off of the word. Or, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Because it's that's still, clever on their yeah. part. Yeah. I never found out if there was an official thing on that, but that's something to watch out for yeah. as well. Very clever. And uh, while we're talking the, the wine labels, Kim, I just had to tell you, I did attend a little webinar on wine labels. There are a couple of interesting things I want to tell you and our listeners about I, I got Ooh, from it. Please. Uh, one of the things was they asked winemakers what they felt should be on a label that is not required. And the most common thing they felt should be on a label that's not required were vineyard descriptions and the story of the winery. We always talk about, you know, having a story behind the wine where we yeah. sell or talk about wine. So I thought that was interesting. It's back to that romance, it, right? The right. romance of the wine. The vineyard thing is a little geeky, but it's all about the sense of place, which is getting back to the EU. So I kind of understand that. why they're, yeah. they're proud of their vineyards, so sure. it makes sense. The other thing they talked about was the font size on a label. <laughs> and one winemaker had a theory to make their font size very small on the label. And the theory is it's so small that when you're looking at it on the wine rack, you can't see it. So you have to pick it up. <sighs> and the chances you put it down, it, it's very rare. You'll well, hold there, there's, it and- there have been studies that say that once you have a bottle of wine in your hand, you are so much more likely, and I don't know what the number is, to actually purchase that wine. Yeah. That it's all about getting, like, once you pick up a bottle, it's much more likely that that's what you're going to buy. And that was their exact thing. And and another person came back and said, we make ours large so you can see it stand out from all the others on the rack. That's where I thought you were going with that one. (laughs) Yeah. So it was interesting. And someone had talked about the produced and bottle statement that we talked about earlier to remember where it's, it's 
a statement about where it's made, not where it's grown. And we, we touched base about that a little bit. There was a lot of discussion also on the label space is limited because there's so much that the government requires them to put on there. It leaves them very little space to put what they want to put on there. And what should you use it for? Should you use it for marketing or should you use it for truths? And that gets back to ingredients and all that other stuff. There's really nothing left on the label after they have to do all the required things. So I thought that was interesting. And it's always this sort of push and pull between what does the producer want on the label and what is the consumer looking for on the label? And they're fighting, you know, what do we do? How do we get it across? Because I feel like from a consumer perspective, information about the vineyard is probably the last thing that they want to read on a label, honestly. The the geeky stuff. Because the majority of wine drinkers don't care. (laughs) We care because we care because we know how to translate that. So for people who have the knowledge, right, because we spend all of our time looking at these things, then that's not to say that we're better wine drinkers or whatever than anybody else, but because we can translate that information into useful tidbits for the consumer, yes, it means something to us. But if you don't know what that, what all of those vineyard statements actually mean to the ultimate flavor of the wine... I just don't feel like that's useful information to the consumer. The winemakers also talked about ratings and medals on the labels. They felt Uh that they have no value because you, the consumer, have not rated or tasted it. Yeah. So if someone else, we talk about this a lot. If someone says it's a 100-point wine, it doesn't mean you'll like it. So I thought it was good that they kind of talked about that. Yeah. They also mentioned that the the TTB rules, which we talked about in this show, they are to tell you what is in the wine. But in all honesty, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was kind of a uh, interesting little topic. And that's a harsh reality, right? Right. I mean, there are rules in place, but they don't really go to the extent that they probably should. And the last thing they talked about, Kim, was our old buddy, the QR codes. And they feel the future of the label will be, because of limited space, putting a QR code that they can then tell you what they really want to tell you. The geeky We're back stuff. back to that again, history. Huh? Yeah. And they feel that is the way the label is going to go. And like you were saying earlier, I don't know if consumers will do it. It's almost like a text sheet. If they're not going online for the text sheet, why would they scan the code to get more information? I mean, well, it is. It, I mean, it is easier to scan a code than it is to look something up via Google on your phone. Let me ask you on that. When you see a product or a, you know, a postcard comes to you and says, scan this code, do you do it? Sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes I have to. So yeah, because they like, don't tell you anything but go here, right? Or like a restaurant menu that there have been a lot of restaurants during COVID that don't have paper menus anymore. So you're required to scan the QR code. So I think this might be one of those things that if it's forced upon the consumer, then yeah, they'll do it. But if they're given the option, then (laughs) then possibly not. Well, it's it's one more thing that's that's coming that uh, people have the option, just like you have the option to research all the things you want to on the wine that we try to tell people to do more research. But yeah. 
We could talk forever on wine labels. We pretty much have in this show. We've talked, <laughs> talked a lot. So One of our, our listeners got favorite something. topics, right? That's right. Geeky, but very informative, I feel, if you, if you learn a few little tricks on the label. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can hear us every week on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Wine, wine.